Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Uh, today, we're going to be talking with Mr. Justin Beals, who's the founder and CEO of StrikeGraph. StrikeGraph provides a software as a service or SaaS-based compliance solution. And uh, we're going to talk to Justin about the, you know, the, the current compliance landscape, some of the challenges that companies have in terms of ensuring their, their compliance posture is in the appropriate or at the appropriate level, and, um, and then some of the specific uh, regulatory bodies and agencies out there. But before we do that, let's welcome Justin. Justin, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mark. It's a pleasure to join you guys and uh, appreciate the opportunity to chat. Yeah. Cool, cool. Hey, um, I can. I'm, I'm looking at your window, um, and it looks like we have very similar weather. Uh, probably because I'm over on the east side, and you're in the, you're in Seattle, right? Yeah, I'm actually about an hour and a half north of Seattle in a in a little uh, farming area called Skagit Valley, and we have. Oh, great I'm very familiar with uh, Skagit Valley. I played golf up there, been to the breweries up there, do mountain oh, biking yeah. up there. It's a beautiful area. Yeah, nice. it's beautiful. Yeah, I yeah. really, really enjoy it. Originally, I'm from Atlanta. I moved to the Pacific Northwest about six years and lived in Seattle for about five years. And with the pandemic, we're all remote, of course. And so uh, we decided to pick somewhere picturesque. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you're going to be, I guess it's probably a little bit more affordable up there. And um, and it's like you said, very, very picturesque. I, it's funny. I just spent uh, the last three months pretty much on the road, bouncing back be- between um, a couple different places in Arizona, uh, Vegas, St. George, Utah, Palm Springs, Idlewild, and San Diego. And literally in three months, um, I think I had maybe five cloudy days. <laughs> yeah, I think those are all the sunny spots, Mark. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you just start to think that that's the new normal, right? And then I came back home last week and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's actually not even that bad. I mean, but, uh, but we've had a couple of rainy days and it's cold though, that's for sure, compared yeah. to down there. Well, hey, um, Justin, how did you, um, you know, how did you end up founding um, StrikeGraph? Yeah, it's um, it's actually for me, I, I think it's an experience that a lot of technology leaders go through, at least the problem finding aspect of it. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been working at startups and founding them uh, pretty much after my first couple of jobs, so about 15 years now. And recently, um, I'd say in the last five, six years, I was invited to join a tech startup in Seattle, Washington area called Koru as their chief technology officer. And we had an AI product that would predict the likelihood an applicant for a job would be a high performer. And our customers needed to have a lot of employee data for us to build valid models. And so that meant that we, a lot of our customers were Fortune 50, Deutsche Bank or um, large national law firms. And as a CTO for the, I understood that enterprise sales was a complex process and difficult, but for the first time, one of the things I noticed about our sales process was that we were spending between nine and 12 months in security review, not contract review, right? But security review. And um, I realized how painful a process it was for me to empower our sales team to get the trust we needed with our customers to share the data we needed to power our product. Um, we sold Koru. Uh, we were glad to find a great buyer for the organization. Uh, hap- you're always happy as a technologist when the models are still running, and I'm sure. proud that many of them are. 
Um, but the problem area really stuck with me. You know, how do companies get trust with their buyers around mm -hmm. the securitization of the data and the broader organization? And it led me to um, join an incubator in the Seattle, Washington area, Madrona Venture Labs. Uh, we researched the problem space for about six months and founded StrikeGraph in February of 2020. And I think that uh, one thing that really differentiates our solution, uh, there, you know, there's a the governance, risk, and compliance has been a problem for quite some time. We're not we're not new to the particular issue, but there are a couple things uh, that that we do uniquely. One is is that we have a true operator perspective. So we attacked the problem not from the perspective of an auditor or a procurement team's management of third-party risk, but from the perspective of how do I as a founder, a chief of operations or a CTO, or even at our larger customers, a CISO, construct a security posture that really is effective and efficient for my organization. Mm -hmm. And that's unique. Right for every every business that wants to be innovative is going to have to kind of develop a unique security posture. I mean, it might be 99% the same, 90% the same as other organizations, but it's that 5% of differentiation that's really important to design around. Uh, and then the other aspect of it is that we layer in massive amounts of intelligence into the platform so that you don't need to be a 20-year vet in security operations to essentially develop a security posture and operate it broadly across your organization. Awesome. So let, let's back up a little bit then because, um, you know, it sounds like you're dealing with, you know, a, a variety of types and sizes of organizations. But let's just say, you know, let's say you're a SMB, um, you know, maybe under a thousand employees. And first off, how do you, how do you choose which regulatory bodies or, um, or security certifications that you should possibly pursue? I mean, you've got SOC 2, NIST and, and on and on and on, but then you also have these regular regulatory bodies like, you know, GDPR, et cetera. So where do you start? Yeah, I think, um, that's an awesome question. And it's usually the first thing that the operators kind of consider is they're like, maybe I can wag the dog a little bit by understanding what standard it is that I need to meet. Mm -hmm. um, I'll start off by saying that I don't always believe that that's the right place to start, but it is an important question to consider. And so I think in the consideration, the very first thing we ask customers is who are your buyers? What are they asking for? You know, if your buyers are asking for a more general security certification or audit like a SOC 2, then great. I do think you kind of have your answer. That's a great one to start with. Um, SOC 2 is, uh, we've found the most flexible of the standards, and I think that's why people are so attracted to it. It's not very prescriptive in exactly what you have to do. And with all of these standards, parts of the standard can be ignored if they don't really represent a risk for your business. Uh, that's oftentimes something that folks don't understand. They think they have to comply with every portion of the standard. But if you can explain to your certifier or auditor why a portion of the standard doesn't apply to you, for instance, a services business that doesn't necessarily have their own product might not be as concerned with change management or code securitization because it's not their intellectual property. And so there are whole swaths of the standard that you won't be required to comply to if you understand up front, you know, what your organization is confronted with. Um, 
The uh, the second standard we hear a lot about is ISO 27001. I, I think it is a more rigorous standard and it deserves a higher um, a higher bar of respect from from buyers. Um, the certification process can last two to three years. It, it has a clear separation in the assessment process for better independence than SOC 2. So there has to be an auditor and a certifier, and they're two separate organizations. For example, StrikeGraph will oftentimes do the audit, but then we partner with a certifying body to get through the full certification. Um, NIST, uh, you may know this, Mark, but NIST was designed uh, by the National Institute of Science and Technology. Um, it was adopted by the DOD and the federal government for a long time, um, but it's, it is an older standard and it is very prescriptive. And mm -hmm. if you read the NIST standard, the, the totality of the standard is about 1500 expected security controls. <laughs> yeah. um, but it also covers things like um, uh, top secret information. So, you know, parts of that standard are really built for military contracts. Sure. Yeah. So it's so complex and it's it's just not utilized as often. Most people are going to CMMC if they're looking for a Department of Defense type contract. Yeah. Okay, so what I'm hearing you saying is, you know, choose wisely and and base that um that choice upon what your customers are asking for. Uh, right. If you're if you're you know getting a lot of RFPs and they're asking for SOC two um, or ISO twenty seven thousand one, that's what you should put your focus. Okay, um, and then obviously if you're in a regulated space, uh, you know healthcare, you're probably going to look at HIPAA. If that's you're right. in financial services, you're going to probably look at maybe payment card industry. Something it depends on you know where where you're at. Um, the challenge though is oh, you were going to say something. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that you're right on the PCI DSS, although you're almost always expected in fintech to do SOC 2 as well. So you can break these industry standards down a little bit. Um, and then uh, for HIPAA, after you've after you've done the HIPAA, the next thing that you look for if you're looking for like a large um, a large hospital to uh, be a buyer of your solution is you may have to think about high trust, which is okay. a fairly complex, uh, but uh, a more rigorous standard and certification process. And note that there's the standard, right? Like the, this is what we expect you to meet. And then some standards will have a very specific methodology to the testing and certification. HIPAA, for example, doesn't. There, there's mm -hmm. no specification in HIPAA about how to get assessed or what a certification is. But with high trust, there is a lot of rigor to the assessment process. There's only a few vendors that can actually do the full certification. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm just amazed that um, at the granularity of your knowledge for these these different uh, <laughs> um, compliance or in regulatory organizations. Um, and I and I and I think we're just starting to scratch the surface, actually. Yeah. So, um, and so, which begs the question. Okay. So, oftentimes, especially large organizations, and depending if they have you know where where they're doing business and who they're doing business with and where their employees are, they may have to you know, kind of map their compliance to, you know, maybe the uh, the, the California privacy law, maybe <laughs> the, the Chinese privacy law, the, the Brazilian law, the GDPR, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, plus all these other ones that you've, you've touched on and you, you might have to be selective, but it's typically not just one. So how how do you manage that as a, um, a CISO or, a, you know, a compliance officer? Yeah, 
And I think this actually brings us full circle, you know, back to what we recommend a customer starts with, mm -hmm. which is let's design your security posture. Let's not worry about the standards just yet. It's, it's not necessarily helpful or what we see is that if you just say, hey, I realize I need to do SOC 2, help me check box, you know, SOC 2, you'll do more security than is probably required for your organization. So, and uh, this is the way uh, the StrikeGraph technology works as well. Before a customer even tells us which standard they want to go after, what we sit down with them and they take a risk assessment on the platform. It's about 40 to different, 40 to 60 different risks that they look at, and they score them very easily, like a high, medium, low. But in our platform, for every risk, we've mapped our ontology of security controls onto the risks. And so as you're doing those first couple of hours on the platform and going through the risk assessment, you're activating the controls that your company is already operating. And what that does is creates a baseline of the security activity that your organization is already doing. Now, at a really big organization, a single division will use StrikeGraph to do this, and multiple divisions will have different security postures. But at a SMB, you know, this is an organization-wide discussion. And what's powerful about that is then we can understand the gap that you have. So if your buyers are telling you SOC 2 and you're kind of leaning that direction, we can say, hey, you have, you know, 80% coverage towards SOC 2 already. And so then you're only, you're minimizing the change to go after that certification to just the difference between what you do already and what might need to be added to meet the standard. Okay, so if I, I just make sure I understand this clearly, you're, you're basically, um, you start the process with an assessment so you can understand where somebody, where an organization currently is at. And then you figure out, okay, here are the gaps and let's talk about how we're gonna close those gaps. Um, I, I'm curious, and, and, I, and I wanna, I wanna you know, um, peek under the hood and understand exactly how the, you, your platform works. But I'm curious, are there some just general principles that go acro across many of the regulatory bodies that, you know what, instead of instead of mapping directly to 11 different um, compliance organizations, that we just look at the general principles, like, for example, um, the right to be forgotten might be something that, you know, they're, 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 you need to have a mechanism in place to kind of enable that. Or, you know, you have to have a business case for holding or collecting data, or you need to be, transparency, I guess, is another one. Are there some general principles that you kind of go in and say, hey, these are, these are important? Um, all of the standards probably share 75 to 90 percent of, you know, similar to, to your to your point, like themes. Uh -huh. And one thing to point out is that um, oftentimes this is all handed over to a CTO or a technology expert, but really only about 40 percent of any of these standards has to deal with technology, specifically your product. You know, much of it, like an example of a theme that is in almost all of them is HR. You know, how are you onboarding and offboarding talent? Uh, another theme that's in almost all of them is like board transparency and management. Okay. Um, another common theme that we see in them is change management. But the devil is in the details, right? Because mm -hmm. even though the themes are common between HIPAA privacy and California privacy, patient healthcare uh, management of records in an implementation can be vastly different than 
a B2C application that's concerned about um, consumer privacy or PCI DSS where you're dealing with credit card privacy. Mm -hmm. And so while I do think that there are broad themes that we think of getting into the weeds of what security are you feeling comfortable operating is actually really critical to getting that most efficient security posture that does meet a standard. Um, I'll give you uh, like another example that I always think of is sometimes these themes don't apply to every organization in the same exact way. So we can say that HR is a theme that really matters, but access provisioning for certain organizations is vastly different than other organizations. And it could be because one is a services organization and another is not. You know, we've seen law firms that are, don't have a technology product needing to go through these security certifications just because broadly they're dealing with very sensitive information. And, and and so I think one one thing that's a little myopic about the industry is we think everyone is a SaaS platform, you know, that's dramatically sharing data that's that's needing to meet security requirements, and it's just not the case. Often everyone is just unique enough to need that flexibility. Okay, makes a lot of sense. So so tell me how do, how does how does your tool work? How does StrikeGraph actually? How do you deploy it, and and what does it actually do? Yeah, so um, it's a, it is a SaaS platform. You know, a, a customer um, that uh, signs an annual subscription with us gets access to the system. Um, we recommend that they uh, they allow their team to have access to the system. Security is an organization operation. It's it's not one person. And actually, uh, we kind of have a ground up theory for security culture as opposed to a top down theory. And we've heard for a long time like. You've got to get board buy-in that security is important. I, I don't think that's a question. I think a lot of board members want to make sure that you have some form of security. The harder part is getting the single software developer or the administrative assistant or the um, customer success representative to participate in security as well. So uh, a customer, especially a leader like a chief of operations is our favorite person to, to lead the project for compliance. Um, but we have CTOs or CEOs at small organizations or a director of compliance or a CISO that will come into the StrikeGraph platform. And the first thing that they do is they'll work with our customer success rep to take that risk assessment. And really the goal there is to identify out of our database of about 600 controls, which controls they're already operating. Once we understand which controls are already operating, like let's say that they uh, do have a vendor management practice and a standard um, contract that they use. Uh, they, I'm sorry, is is this this is a, a manual process? You're going to go through and kind of this is you're not doing any type of automated scan on somebody's IT infrastructure. No. Um, okay. Certainly, we've heard of tool systems like that. That's very specific to cybersecurity. For instance, uh, like a penetration test or a vulnerability assessment. This is really organizational security. Gotcha. So you don't want to, um, you do need to look at it. A human has to be in the loop a little bit. We can't scan through your organization and pull enough data to realize that um, you're, you are or are not managing vendors, for example. Definitely. But it's quite quick, just takes a couple hours, you know, okay. to, to drill through. So it's not a week long process. It's not the typical consultative uh, risk assessment process that I think most people are used to. Okay. Um, 
the what they're really doing is they're going from a control database that Strikecraft provides of about 600 different security controls to probably the 80 to 100 controls that matter for their business. And that sets them up to essentially assign control activity across the organization to their teammates. For every control in the StrikeGraph platform, we identify the typical evidence that you'll want to collect, both to internally validate that the control was operated, but also that's the type of evidence that an auditor would expect when you go for your SOC 2 audit or your ISO 27001 certification. Can you give some specific examples of these types of controls? Yeah, on the tech side, a really great example of a common control is encryption of data at rest. You know, that's yeah. that's a very common one that a CTO would be concerned with. And so as you're going through uh, the risk assessment, it might say if data is not encrypted, you know, anyone with access could essentially take that data and share it. And that would be a data breach. And you ask the customer, is this a risk that you have? That's a very common risk. So most people would say that's a risk if you're storing a database online. And then underneath that risk, it states, hey, these are the controls that you might utilize to mitigate that risk. And the first one will probably say encryption of data at rest. And almost always that's an easy answer. Oh yeah, we already do that. You know, we, and most CTOs nowadays do set up their data systems for encryption at rest. And immediately you know who the owner of that control is. Oh, I got to assign this to my CTO. You know, they're the one responsible for this. And then, and then I'm kind of getting into the weeds of your platform, but I, let's just assume that some somebody has been assigned a task or a control. Um, I'm assuming they would receive some type of alert or reminder or something that, hey, you know, by the way, this is you, you've completed this, you haven't completed it, it needs to be done by this date, et cetera, something like that. Yeah, definitely has a how often it needs to be checked, who the owner is, a reminder to collect the evidence to validate that the control was operated. So we skip right ahead to say, hey, if you're operating this control. You really want to be able to validate that the control was done every quarter. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, for encryption of data at rest, one of the things that's very easy to collect is, hey, let's go into AWS and query that the encryption is turned on on our relational database solution, the RDS in Amazon. And you can pull that data quarterly. And there's two ways of pulling the data in the StrikeGraph platform. A, Customer oftentimes will take a screenshot or, you know, essentially query the text, maybe a JIRA ticket and copy it or print it and upload it to the platform so they can do it by hand. And they get an email uh, every two weeks letting them know how soon their evidence is going to expire. So, for example, I'm the CEO at my organization. Last week I got an email that I needed to update the board meeting invite. Uh, because we collect that as a control on transparency of the organization. And so I simply uh, made sure that it was uploaded. But we also automate the collection of evidence via integration for a number of different platforms. And my favorite example of this is one that a lot of people don't think of. It's policy management. So I don't want, you know, I want to use a document repository that's kind of easy for my team to work with, like Google Drive or Office 365, to manage our policies and make sure they're updated. And with StrikeGraph, you can automate the collection of that file from your Google Drive or Office 365 on whatever schedule is important for you. So oftentimes policy is every six months. 
Okay, so you can see what policies are attached to your repository, and and you just have you, basically you have it. Um, it's it's a way to document what the, what they are. You don't have to go looking for the information. Um, let me ask you this because you know you 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 mentioned uh, AWS. Um, you also mentioned Google and Office 365. So the, those are the three the big three cloud providers. How much? Or you know what role does it play? Like if you if if you especially if you're a SaaS based organization or company, SaaS based product seller. But if you're if you it basically if your organization has put your infrastructure onto the cloud, that's I guess the second part of the equation. If yeah. you're completely only on the on the cloud, are you able to outsource a lot of your compliance posture to the cloud provider? Certainly, it's a lot easier than uh, back in the day when I used to have to rack hardware. You know? right. <laughs> that, that's um, it, it's much easier to turn on these uh, security solutions uh, than it used to be. However, there was, I think, a fallacy in our industry for a while that because you're on a cloud provider, security is automatically delivered. Um, that's not the case. And if you read you know, uh, Google um, or Azure or AWS's uh, essentially instructions or uh, terms of service, they state that there are certain security controls that they will operate for you. Like you can't get physical access to an AWS server, right? right. And so they're operating that physical access control for you. But there are a lot of controls that they don't operate for you at all and you are responsible for. A perfect example of one is firewalls, right? Mm -hmm. So Amazon provides a firewall as a part of their VC, uh, VCP type setup um, so that you can build a firewall around your virtual servers. But if you don't set it up and if you don't configure it right and if you don't monitor it, then it's going to fail. And gotcha. so you, you really are responsible for the securitization of your cloud assets. And those are the controls you do need to define, you know, both sure. for, you know, internal like security, are we operating securely, as well as when you get to an auditor, they're going to ask, the firewall is a very common one, you know, is, is the network firewalled appropriately? And do you monitor the settings on the firewall for any changes? Awesome. So, you know, you just mentioned when you talk to an auditor, um, and and these you, you have auditors who are helping you with your compliance or to achieve compliance. You also have in cases of like a um, some type of breach or potential violation, um, you know the regulatory agency might actually come in and um, and start asking some questions. Uh, I, I'm assuming in the first case, you know, you're going to be there working with your customers to help them, you know, uh, answer or respond to the auditor's questions. What about in the case where the the, the regulators are actually coming in and um, they're they're concerned about, you know, how compliant you were? Um, are there any um, findable offenses or issues? And and how do you do you work with your customers to kind of help them navigate that process? <laughs> Well, certainly we've recently seen the FCC come out with fines for organizations that suffered a breach that didn't seem to have any actual security operation documented. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the beginning of what we see from a, a risk issue, right? Like to me, there there's like a liability challenge and then there's a, hey, I need buyers to trust me challenge. Sure. And if you're focused on the liability challenge, like if I suffer a breach, and the FCC comes to take a look at what happened, what type of fines or reputational damage might I suffer? And I think that um, 
let's let's say that you had no documented security posture whatsoever. You know, you weren't practicing anything. The fine will be larger, and the Get FCC your checkbook out state, right now. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. However, if you do suffer a breach and you say we do have a SOC two practice and it is audited on a regular basis, but we still suffered a breach, I I think that the fine will be less. But certainly, um, the, and specifically, I've read text in. Uh, fines by the FCC that stated because there was no documented security practice in the organization, the fine was more. Um, so they're certainly starting to think about it. I, I it, in some ways, I almost, you know, as much as it's difficult to ask for more regulation, it would be nice to have clarity on exactly sure. what they're looking for, um, because then I think you can respond with more rigor. Um, sure. And we will likely, I think, see that in the next five to 10 years, not just around privacy, but, you know, privacy is based upon a good security operation. Sure. And, and so that's that's a little more fundamental. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some of the people I talk to who are, you know, deep subject matter experts in terms of privacy um, and compliance, they basically all agree that, you know, if you have some type of plan in place and, you know, you've done the gap analysis and you're working to close that gap, that the the attitude from the regulators is going to be a lot better than if you're like, uh, we don't know, nothing's been documented. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, we didn't tell you about the breach because we didn't want you to find out. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you heard about uh, Cathay Pacific in Hong Kong, but they had, you know, several million customer uh, records had been uh, compromised and they they sat on that information for almost a year and didn't tell the regulators and so now they're in all kinds of hot water and not even just regulatory hot waters uh, there's some 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 criminal uh, actions that are being filed by the the Hong Kong authorities so it's a it's a pretty serious thing and and I and I would say that you know as part of any compliance planning and and data protection planning you need to have a breach response plan on the shelf and ready to go so that because you can't just throw an audible and try to figure it out on, on the fly. That's one of those themes I think we see commonly is, you know, what's your breach notification process? And look, if you're the CEO of an organization, isn't it so much more, you know, confidence inspiring for you to say, we have a game plan, we've agreed to how these notifications work. As much as I might suffer, you know, to be public about a difficult breach, at least I don't have to make a decision in the moment about whether or not to be public about it. Because Absolutely. that's when you're going to, it's going to be hard to make the most ethical choice, honestly, because you're you're confronted with the the pain and suffering of. Yeah, you've <laughs> got your customers, you've got um, your, your 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 employees, you've got your shareholders, you got the every, you know, so and, and you you can't just kind of start making that stuff up. You got to have a plan to communicate with all those parties. Um, so so what? Let me ask you this. I just totally changed tracks. Yeah. Uh, I, I spend a fair amount of time in the the Microsoft ecosystem, and they have something called Compliance Manager. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just um and 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 then there are obviously there are much more robust tools out on the market out there. But um maybe you can contrast uh you know Strike Graph with for example Compliance Manager, but then also talk about how you're different from some of the other platforms out out on the market. Yeah, well, first off, the compliance manager on Azure and AWS has a similar type solution. These are actually really great tools, but they are focused on your cloud solution. So how is Azure compliant with typical portions of these standards? And this is the one of the things that we found a lot in the marketplace is that there's a, a lot of security tools 
that speak towards, hey, we help you become compliant. Like, let's say you have a device management solution. Mm-hmm. You know, that's certainly a portion of a compliant practice, you know, meeting sure. some of these standards, but it's really only a portion. And, and that was one of the challenges that we saw is that really our customers needed an umbrella tool that would handle end to end everything that you were doing to go after a SOC 2 audit or an ISO 27001 certification. And so we like those tools. We figure they are in partnership of what we offer, and you can use them to build a good cloud security and take advantage of using Compliance Manager as an actual control. Like we use Compliance Manager to help us decide what level of encryption or what level of backup or these other decisions, and it helps us be more secure. And you should take advantage of that when you go in for certification uh, because it can just impress upon buyers uh, the rigor of your security posture. So not a bad thing at all. You know, another one of my favorites is uh, New Relic is a is a great tool that does logging and monitoring, you know, across your cloud environment. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That is one of those themes that we see in a lot of these um, security compliance issues. Uh, but it really is just a portion of what you're dealing with, you know. Um, so you're going to have to think a little more broadly. It's it's not just a turnkey, and now I can get a SOC 2. Um, now, certainly, this is a burgeoning market. I, I was shocked to learn this, and I actually was just doing some more research this morning. Um, in 2019, um, globally, audits and audit services were a $200 billion industry. And half of that was non-financial audits, which is exactly the type of control operation audit that StrikeGraph solves for. It's growing between seven and 10% a year and predicted to be at almost 300 billion by 2028. So this issue of compliance, you know, broadly is is growing very, very rapidly. And so certainly, you know, the issue that I experienced at Koru where we were struggling with sales is something others have noticed. And we do have competitors in the marketplace. The difference between StrikeGraph, I really believe, comes into that that operator perspective. So our competitors tend to want to say, here's a checklist. You know, here are the 80 things that every company needs to do, and they're the same 80 things for every company. And I vehemently disagree with that. To me, that is security theater. Because I promise you that 20% of those controls are not applicable to that particular organization, the way the technology that you develop works, or the innovation that you want to bring to market. So to me, security checklists like that are are just a real struggle. The other thing is that if, if the platform is automating the actual security, so it's going in and turning on encryption, that's great, but that's a contr- someone still has to operate that control. So who's monitoring to make sure that that automation is actually resulting in the the encryption that you want? You know, there needs to be a checker. Now the checker system can be automated too, but it can't be the same as the system that does the security to begin with. Otherwise, you know, I can tell you as a CTO, that's an opportunity for cascading failure, right? Because Mm -hmm. the system that sets the standard checks the standard and you wind up missing the actual standard when there's some mistake. So in that, you know, when we talked about the fact that our customers decide which controls matter for their business, we are really saying that 
we're going to eliminate that security theater. You know, the security posture of your organization is the one that you believe in, that you think is right for the risks that are confronting your organization. And that only that that breeds a real cultural uh, decision to operate it well, because, you know, your systems administrator doesn't wind up with a control that they're like, I don't know why we're doing this. Like, it doesn't matter to who we are. And then they start to wonder if the security operation is valid at all. And so for me, that that's I, I every piece of software I've built in the last 25 years has been vastly unique in some mm -hmm. way. And uh, you need to have that flexibility uh, to really have the most efficient and effective security posture. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I totally agree with you that the just jumping through the hoops for the sake of jumping through hoops is a, is a waste of time, but it also can be really demoralizing and it leads to kind of sloppy follow up and behavior, um, which goes back to earlier, your, your earlier point that, you know, security and data protection compliance actually are pretty much everybody's responsibility. I mean, you yeah. might, it might sit in the CISOs or CTO's office or DPO's office, but, but really, you know, I mean, anybody who opens a device and, you know, clicks on a potential phishing email or whatever, you know, even physical security, people are like, well, somebody else will take care of it. No, right. <laughs> you see somebody come in the front door and you don't know who they are. You can say, can I help you find, some, you know, just greet the person, ask a question. Don't be afraid. I mean, it's everybody's job and, and, the, you know, companies need to kind of communicate that. But if you're making people jump through ridiculous hoops for no reason, people just start to kind of tune out, I would guess. So makes a, a lot of sense. Um, let me ask you something a totally uh, different track, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Um, what about cyber insurance? Um, and and is, you know, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, um, we have some partners that we work with for our customers that offer cyber insurance. Uh, I have to say that I don't think the underwriters have a good take on where the risks are. So <laughs> I, I have read some of the the assessments that they do, the underwriters do to try and understand the relative risk and how much they should charge for the insurance. And I'm not sure that they're very um, rigorous. Uh, however, you know, hopefully they will improve that so that, you know, really that you get the right pricing for the insurance you're going to buy. Well, I, and I was wondering if, if, if any of the underwriters or carriers will offer a preferential rate if, you know, if a company is using a tool or platform such as StrikeGraph? Uh, I I definitely, of course, you know, I think they should. I think they should, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I, but I can even take it out of, you know, StrikeGraph well, my, my own desire for for everyone to see the value we provide. But um, if, a cust if, if a company gets like through a SOC 2 audit or an ISO 27001 certification or any of these certifications, I do think that the underwriter should take that into account. You know, they don't even have to think about what we do. We can use the standard as kind of a, a dollar denomination for trust. Sure. And, and I think that that is very useful. You know, standards in a way, as much as we can complain about the, the cracks and issues that they have, um, at least we have a standard to work towards. And I, I think that that's a super helpful um, uh, market driver because we can start to quantify, granted, yes or no in this situation if a certain level of security might be being met. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, um, Justin, we're going to kind of wind things down here, but would you mind just giving us um, a little bit more information about your organization, like where you're at in terms of size offices um, and, you know, plans for, for, you know, increasing market share. Uh, and then 
lastly, if, if any of our listeners would like some additional information, what's the best way to find it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so we founded the company in February 2020, and it is it has grown faster than any other startup I've ever um, been involved with. Uh, we have 150 plus customers. Um, we're really proud of the fact that uh, we we really focus on getting our customers to the certification. That that is our primary goal. We're not going to abandon you just to our software. And so, uh, in that. Um, in that single-mindedness to helping our customers get the assets they need to get the trust they want with their customers. Uh, zero of our customers have experienced a control deficiency in auditor certification. Everyone has passed with 100% clean uh, auditor certification. And awesome. so uh, that really speaks to, I think, the preparation that we go in with the customer and the rigor that we help them instill in their own security practices you know, to meet these standards. Um, we, uh, you know, we have about 150 customers, uh, 50 plus employees at this point. Um, that is growing at a, really a pretty phenomenal rate. I mean, you're just two years old. That's not, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we definitely are outpacing our competition at a similar age point, uh, with where we're going. Although, are you, are uh, you focused primarily in the, in the Northwest or do you, or do you have customers all across the country? all across the globe, um, okay. throughout Europe and Asia Pacific, Australia, um, a lot in uh, North America, of course, that's where we started. Um, we have a fair number in Silicon Valley, as much as mm -hmm. Seattle, um, East Coast, uh, and Latin America as well. And folks are finding us because their buyers are asking for these types of certifications. Sure. The best place to, to reach us is really just on the website. Um, I highly recommend our chat. It's always staffed by um, uh, reps that can answer any questions that you might have about these certifications. And also, we're happy to schedule a demo. Um, we, I'll tell you, our close rate for customers is really exciting is typically about a week. Somebody sits down with a demo for us, and they take a look at how powerful the platform is and easy to use. And it's, a, it's pretty convincing that um, we have a really valuable solution. Yeah. So just book more demos, get more customers. That's, <laughs> that's the SaaS story. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, Justin, I've, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I, I think you're definitely onto something. It's uh, like, as you said, a, a, an increasingly important and rapidly growing space um, and you're helping organizations deal with that complexity uh, that that is, if you don't have the right tools, can be a real big challenge. So I, I think your future is definitely bright. And uh, I uh, look forward to crossing paths with you, uh, hopefully sometime in the future. Mark, the pleasure is all mine. It's a great conversation. It's really intriguing stuff. And yeah, we're excited. Um, thank you. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.